Welcome to Side Hustle with Personality. I'm Kerry Ruff, and in this podcast, we help you understand, leverage, and capitalize on your untapped skills and interests, leading to more income and fulfillment. Now, during each episode, we interview successful people, artists, and everyday folk who have, in unique and clever ways, taken their passions and turned them into money-making enterprises. Now today, I am thrilled to have someone with quite a track record in building careers, someone who knows how to leverage his personality. Coach Daryl Sharp, 12th season with the Hampton University Men's Basketball Recruiting Program. He is responsible for hiring, recruiting, and developing young talent, basketball talent. He also handles all the film exchange and assists with individual improvement drills in the off season. In other words, this man knows how to train and coach people to excel and win. Hello, Coach Sharp, how are you? Doing well today, Kerry, how about yourself? Excellent, excellent. We're, we're going to move people differently right at the beginning. I want to know how my side hustle with personality community may use their personality and connection skills to start a small side hustle. What does a person have to bring to the table? Well, I think in my situation, I was uh, just to shed some light on on my background. I, I started off at Robert W. Baird as a stockbroker in 1995 and uh, loved the industry. Uh, it taught me a lot about uh, developing sales skills. Um, you have to understand how to really put a good sales um, um, program together as a stockbroker. So they really teach you how to probe. Um, how to meet needs of your customers. It, they also, your interpersonal communication skills to just get a person to the point where you can sit down and meet with them and talk to them about their financial needs and help them understand how imperative it is to put themselves in a position for retirement. So when, when you uh, get an opportunity to, to work in a, a financial industry, it really allows you to understand um, the whole process of selling. I mean, establishing a rapport, making the initial phone call, um, following up with uh, the second phone call, trying to set a date so that you can meet, and also understanding and getting enough information from your client to understand the need and what, how you can help them. So I just... That skill set that was learned at Robert W. Baird and at U.S. Bank was imperative um, throughout my journey, journey <clears throat> excuse me, into coaching because you really have to understand people. And most important of all, you have to listen. You have to listen to what people want, and you also have to understand how to meet the need of what those people want. And you utilize your expertise in the field of finance to capture. Well, it's, 
is there a difference between excelling and winning? No, I mean, I, I believe you, you can excel <clears throat> at a very high level, but just because you excel doesn't necessarily mean you're always going to win all the time. So people have to understand the difference. You can, you can excel and be really successful. Point in case, as a broker, you may set 10 appointments. With those 10 appointments, you've excelled to set the 10. You may only be able to close on five or six of those appointments in terms of developing new client, new relationships. It doesn't mean that you haven't won. You've won because you've been able to bring five or six new clients on. You continue to excel to close on the other four or five. So I think sometimes people don't clearly understand the difference between excelling and winning. You can win and excel at the same time. You have to set your own goals and expectations of what winning and excelling is for you as the individual. So you-, you, for, you said- for, for, for example, in, in the coaching industry, I've been at Hampton, 12 years now, our highest standard or excelling at the highest level would be making the NCAA tournament, which is a field of 68 teams. There are 354 division one programs that start practicing in September. We all are thriving and trying to excel to be one of the 68 in March. So, If I win 23 or 24 games and I don't make the NCAA tournament in March, I've still excelled. I just didn't win at the highest level to be recognized on the big stage with March Madness. So how could someone say you won 23 games and lost nine you might have lost in the championship game of your conference tournament, which would have allowed you to get into the NCAA tournament. You've excelled at a very high level to get to that championship game of your conference tournament. You just didn't excel to the highest level, which would be the NCAA tournament. And you've won at a very high level. You've won, but there is a difference because You've excelled, done very well. Would you call that winning? You said that would be winning, but not at the highest level. But that is winning when Absolutely. you excel and, and you might not have reached the, the tournament level. But the, pinnacle, have, the pinnacle of success the pinnacle. That, that, yeah, of, of what the NCAA sets as a standard. Oh, okay. But you have one individual. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You've you've reached some of the goals that you've set for your team and for your program. Right. So ultimately, the highest level is being one of the 68 in March. Okay. Okay. I, I want to let's now talk 
about using the asset of personality and okay. creating a personal connection as you grow, using your personality and that personal connection as you grow. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. When I, when I entered the coaching um, profession, um, recruiting, it was a different type of recruiting. When I was in the financial industry, I recruited people so we could talk about their retirement. We could talk about their yearly income and how we were going to plan for retirement each year. As I transitioned to coaching, I started talking directly with kids about their goals, their objectives, academically, athletically, and how I could help them reach their dream of playing at the highest level, whether that would be playing overseas in Europe or playing in the NBA. But as you develop a relationship with those kids, as you recruit them, you have to listen, probe, and also sell them on what you have to offer. And I tell any kid that I recruit, every institution has a court, every institution has uniforms, every institution has sneakers, travel. Ultimately, it comes down to, do you believe in me and have I developed a good enough relationship with you and your parents? that your parents are going to allow me to finish your development from 18 to 22, from being a young man to, be, being come, to becoming a responsible man at 22 years old, on and off the court. When I say personality, because that's what this show is about, um, and, and connection, personal connection with people to build relationships, what do you think of personality? Yeah, well, you've, you've seen I, the personality traits that I like to see in kids that I recruit are kids that are hardworking, kids that are going to push um, their play and their personality to the limit. Um, and I tell kids all the time when I, when I watch them play, I want to see you push a play to the point where it's at. It can't go any farther. That becomes a personality that you can shape and mold because I look for kids that are not afraid to make mistakes. You only get better in life when you are not afraid to make mistakes and you learn and grow from those mistakes. So I recruited a kid about four years ago and he wanted to play basketball in a perfect world. So I told the kid on a conversation, I said, you know what? Maybe one time you need to just relax and take the basketball and throw it out of bounds. He said, coach, what do you mean? I said, because you're, you're playing to be perfect. You're playing to be perfect and you can't play scared. You can't play afraid to make a mistake. Once you relax and play, you're going to be able to achieve and play at your highest level. And you're going to be even more successful than you ever imagined. Because right now, you're playing to not make a mistake. Uh -huh. You can't live or play basketball or live 
the, the game that we call life and not be afraid to make mistakes. You learn from your mistakes. You become a better person, a better player. Those are personality traits that I look for. Kids that, that have the desire and the will and the passion to win, and you see it as they play, the enthusiasm, the energy, um, that just you see the fire and the commitment that they have. And when you recruit kids like that, it's a good match for Hampton because that's part of our culture. That's what we've built here. We wanna bring kids in that fit our system with our X's and O's, our offensive philosophy and defensive philosophy. But one of the slogans here at Hampton is, your effort has to exceed your opportunity. Your effort has to exceed your opportunity. Correct. Your effort. Correct. Yes. Your energy. Correct. Your fire. Correct. Desire. Desire has to exceed your opportunity. Your opportunity. So we are looking for kids that, that are always working. They may not be um, one of the top five players on the team, one of the starters, but you see that every day they're working, they're chipping away at getting better. And they're committed to that, knowing that they're going to position themselves to be in the top five. That becomes a mentality. That's the culture that we've built here at Hampton, which has that, been a successful culture. That becomes a mentality. You have, uh, Correct. Uh, a, a person 21, 22 years old has to be able to mentally focus that way. Correct. But you may, as a coach, you may, you may see those characteristics in an 18-year-old when you recruit them out of high school. But it still doesn't mean that that kid understands how to win. See, those are the characteristics of the culture that I'm looking for to bring them into our culture. Our job as a staff is to teach them how to win. See, that mentality, that attitude, that passion is really important, but that will only get you 36 minutes into a game. We, we as a coach, coaching staff, will show you how to win the last four minutes of the game. Everybody doesn't know how to win. People have characteristics and personality traits to position themselves. But as I said earlier, with 354 Division I programs, only 68 are going to be in a winning position come March. So Okay, okay, go sharp. What, what is that little extra that you're talking about? What is that? Everybody has it. What is that little extra that wins in the last quarter of the game? What is that personality it's, it's, and that con uh, personal connection with themselves? It's the little stuff. It's paying attention to detail. It's valuing the possession. So when we get to the last four minutes of a game, there, are, there, there may be seven possessions that you have for the remainder of the game. 
So if it's a game that's 60 to 60 and you have seven possessions, you have to really understand what plays to run, what options we're looking for, and put the, the team in the best position to be successful as coaches. So we have to execute those seven possessions at the highest level. We want to be able to score six of those seven possessions. And you know the individual person who has that skill. Correct. Can you grow, build that skill within yourself, that skill that you say, I'm the one that goes from the four, last four minutes of the game, I'm the one. Can you build that? And what is that? What are those skills to build? Well, I think in, in the last four minutes, you've had 36 minutes to watch your opponent. You've had a scouting report prepared for that opponent. So as you evaluate the opponent, you look at their deficiencies defensively. You see how they defend certain plays. And then at halftime, you go through the plays that you've run and the ones that you've been successful with, and you put those plays and a little side note in your playbook. And then when you get to that critical point of the last four or five minutes of a game, then you go back to five or six plays that you've had success with. And then you attack the players on the opposing team that have not done well, whether it's ball screens, whether it's pin downs, whether it's staggers, to utilize uh, those plays and the players that have been successful in those plays. To put, now, that, put, that's the coaches job correct 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 what, what can the individual player in life do to make sure he or she is ready in that last four minutes well that, that, that's a process once once we get the kids and we, we do individual instruction with them so we do player development so i look at a kid once i get him on campus and i look at you know, his skill set. How well does he shoot the ball? What are his fundamentals like? Um, is he fundamentally sound with his with his triple threat, which is his, his uh, jab, step, shot, fake, rip through? And, and we drill and we really build the fundamental skill set to make a player better. Um, that's, that's imperative for his development and growth. And then through the, the drill, the player development stuff, it all is geared around the plays that we run. So we are setting the player up to get better individually, oh, okay. but we also, we also, with the player development, are getting in the plays that we run so that that kid gets an opportunity to enhance his skill set, but he also is being prepped for our system so that he can be successful once we start teaching the plays. So we break the plays down into segments in individual instruction. And then that not only builds the player and the mindset of the player and the personality and the connection of the player, but it, it, it's through the system that you have set up for them to train in. Correct, correct. All right, what, what about those, what about those 
people who suffer from lower self-esteem? Where, where do they start? Well, um, I've had some players that, that were really talented, but due to the lack of success as a high school player, they didn't believe in themselves to a point or to a level where they thought they could be successful at the division one level. Oh. So you have to um, connect, develop the relationship, and you have to tell a student athlete that you believe in who they are and what they can do, uh, not only basketball wise, but as a person. And as you develop and connect with that player, it really develops, you develop a bond and the player starts to believe in himself. That's the psychological piece as a coach that is imperative. That you, you teach a young athlete that you believe in them, that you know from the success that you've had as a coach, that they are one of the final pieces to the puzzle for success. What, have you ever had a, what, or what would you rather have? An athlete who is, so sound, talented, just incredibly talented with no personality, uh, does, does, doesn't like other people, doesn't uh, feel good about themselves, but they got all this talent. Or a athlete who has a great personality, energetic, but, but not as much talent. What would you rather have? I would take a person that, that's not as talented, but the most important thing for me is, is I like to evaluate their basketball IQ. <laughs> how, how good is their understanding of the game? And can I teach them my system and put them in a position to be successful? The talented person is going to take shortcuts because they've always been able to be successful because of their talent. So when you have someone who's willing to buy into the system, and I tell the kids that we recruit all the time, the system and the culture that we've built at Hampton over 12 years has put us in four NCAA tournaments, has put us in an NIT, has put us in CBI. We've had, we've had eight, we've, I'm sorry, we've had nine postseasons in 12 years. So the system works. What's, gonna, what's, what's the difference between your system and other universities and colleges? Their system. What do you think is the difference? Well, I, I think what we teach is, is, is we have a system that, that gives kids freedom, a little freedom. But we also understand what we want from our players, our, our shot selection, uh, where we want to take shots from on the floor. Um, we also understand clock management and time management in the game. Um, and, and we're patient. We, we, uh, we will take opportunities to push the ball in transition. But when, when the game gets close, we're going to play half-court basketball. We're going to run our plays and we're going to execute. We, we've had success because we've been able to change our, our, our plays from year to year, depending on personnel. So, you know, some years, you you know, my first year here, we had a team that, you know, we made 13, 14 three-pointers a game. Um, 
We had a team and that team in 2011 went to the NCAA tournament. We had the third best record in school history. We were 24 and eight. We returned uh, in 2015 and had a team that didn't shoot the ball as well, but we defended, we played a lot more in transition and we, uh, it, it was a different team. That team in 2011 was more of a half court team where we ran plays. The team in 2015 was, was a little bit more talented. So we gave them more freedom to play. It wasn't as much structure. Well, pe so you people need you, Coach Sharp, because you are a self-starter uh, and a coach. Uh, what could be the first step if you have an idea for a career change or a business that you would want to uh, attempt? What would you suggest as a first step? Well, I think you have to identify, um, do you have a passion? Do you have, do you have an interest in, in what you're thinking about? Does it excite you? Is it something that you think about nonstop? Are you gonna put forth the energy? Are you gonna make the commitment? Do you have the discipline to do it? Because in doing so, you have to work your nine to five Monday through Friday, but then on your, your, your off time, maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, then you start pursuing um, your passion. And you have to put a plan together, a business plan of how you wanna do that. How do I transition? Um, maybe it's Tuesday, you put two hours in, three hours at night. Maybe Wednesday, it's two or three hours of, of your passion and your desire and what you wanna do and how you wanna go about it. And maybe on Saturday and Sunday, you can work six, eight, 10 hours on how you wanna go about really structuring and, and putting that plan together. For example, I was a stockbroker Monday through Friday with Robert W. Baird. I started coaching high school basketball. So I went to work um, at seven o'clock in the mornings. I would get off at three o'clock central time, which was four o'clock Eastern standard when the stock market would close. I was in downtown Minneapolis on 7th and Nicolet. And I had to get all the way up to Washburn High School, which is about 46 blocks away for a 3.30 practice. So I used to keep my fingers crossed because I knew when I caught the elevator down into the parking garage, I had to pull out of the parking garage and I had to get through four lights to be able to get on to the interstate so I could get up to 50th and 50th street uh, to get up to Washburn. So there are a lot of days when I would walk into practice at 3:38, at 3:41, and I would tell the guys, I apologize that I was committed to them and that we were going to stay an extra eight minutes, an extra nine minutes, an extra 10 minutes, or an extra 11 minutes each day because I was late. But I always made sure I apologized to the players because time is, some, time is of the essence. So when you are doing something, it's imperative that you be on time. As a coach, you have to set the example for your athletes. I can't show up late and then expect them to be on time. Right. I have to be the role model. So that, that's basically uh, what I did. And I did that for three years. And I would go to practice. I would go to practice from 3.30 or 3.45 until about 6.30. I'd finish practice. I'd get in my car. I'd go back to my office. And I would work from 6.30 until 10.30, 11 o'clock that night as a stockbroker.
And then I would go home and then I would think about plays that we were going to run in basketball. And I, my cutoff was usually about 1230. I would get in bed because I knew I needed to get about five to five and a half hours worth of sleep. Right. Right. So coaching basketball was your side hustle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why do you, why do you think that, that people well, I want to, I want to, I want, let me, let me just say one more thing. Yes. So when you coach high school basketball, that doesn't really open the door for you to be a college coach. So I had to say to myself, how can I get myself college exposure to college coaches? So the next part of it was this. AAU basketball runs April, May, June, and July. All the college coaches go out and recruit in July. So I said, I have to get a head coaching position with an AAU program because that will get me connected with college coaches. That will get me in front of them. They can watch my players. They can recruit my kids and I can develop a relationship with the college coaches. So that gave me the window or the platform to develop relationships with college coaches. And, and but I had, but I, I had to take the time off from my job in July. So I would go to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, yes. get off Thursday at five, go to the Minneapolis airport, catch a 10 o'clock flight to Vegas, okay, get there um, at about 10 Pacific time, get with the kids, we would do a little walkthrough, Friday we would practice, we would play Saturday, Sunday, that gave me the exposure, then Sunday night, at midnight, I'd catch a red eye back to Minneapolis, so this is the kind of this this is the commitment. If if you want to have a side hustle or you have a passion to do something different, this is the commitment that you need to have, the desire, the energy that you have to put forth to chase your dream if you're passionate about it. Fabulous. Well, why? Why do you think people call you first when they are building a winning basketball team? Is it the recruiting talents that you possess? Why do they call you first when they, when they say, we want a winning team here, and they, <laughs> they call you? Well, I, I, I think it's, it's a number of things. I, I think that recruiting is part of it. I mean, you, you obviously have to have the talent and the kids have to be talented enough to, to be successful at, at the Division One level. You also have to be able to identify with personalities, um, personalities that, that fit what you're doing as a staff, uh, personalities that fit with the other 13 personalities on the basketball team. You have to have kids that want to buy in and, and understand the philosophy. Um, and then most important of all, you have to have kids that really have a passion and desire to be successful. You have to gauge that. Are these kids 
playing for individual awards? Are they playing because they want to be successful collectively as a team? So, which do those, you, which which do you desire most from from an individual? Which do you desire to hear most? Well, you, you know, it's it's easy to say, Carrie, that that you want to have kids that are going to buy in and 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 be a part of of a team. But I'll say this, you need one or two of those kids that have achieved at the highest level. And they may not have won a lot, but they're really talented. Now, the key to this is this, when you get those one or two kids, you have to bring them into a program and you have to nurture them into the culture and into the system and get them to understand, look, you've been really successful as a high school player, but you've never won anything. You've never won, a, you've never had a winning season. You've never won a state championship. You've never even got to districts or regionals. So it's clear that you're talented because you've averaged 35 points a game, but do you wanna win? because winning becomes contagious. When you win, everybody wants to see and be a part of what you're doing. That's the fun part for me as a coach is I've taught kids how to win, how to be successful in a college setting when some of them have never been successful at all in a high school setting or junior college setting. So to answer your question, that's what people see and like and in my industry the measuring stick is where what you do in march can you be one of the 68 teams in march so the perception about hampton basketball is oh hampton wins all the time hampton's always in the championship game of the conference tournament hampton's always in the ncaa now that's not been the case we've won we've been in to postseason eight or nine times in 12 years, but the perception is we always win. That's the culture that we've been able to build at Hampton. So the culture and the perception for people that don't know you is everything. What do you do? What do you tell individuals who are overstressed? Uh, and how, how do you help them increase their productivity? when they're overstressed? Well, I think, I think stress, there's, there's, there's a couple of things, a couple of elements to stress. I think people are stressed sometimes because they've been striving to reach their goals and they've not met those goals. I think that you, you have to, stress is an emotional part of our personality. Whenever you get caught up in the emotional state, you cannot think rational. So you have to relax, decompress, evaluate where you are that day and make progress toward that and not become emotional. One of the key things for me as a coach, when I first started as a coach, I was emotional. When you coach kids, 
kids feed off of your emotions. So now I'm, I, I don't get emotional very often. I'm very calm, cool, and collected because when you become emotional, sometimes kids see that as you're panicking. Oh, you're stressed. So now can we not win? Because coach is stressed. I always tell the kids, look, just another opportunity. We've been here before. I know how this is going to end. We just got to relax and play and execute. Stress is not a good thing to answer your question in a long-winded way, Carrie. You have to relax. You have to believe in yourself. You have to know it may not be a sprint. It may be a marathon, but you got to be ready to make the journey in whatever it may be. What's the, what's the, I love that. Um, what is the number one reason people give up on their talents and skills after a few months? Well, <laughs> it's funny you ask that question. Um, people get to a point where they try and they try and they try and they keep hearing no, 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 no. And that no starts to affect who they are. They start questioning themselves. You can never question your desire. You have to full, fully and wholeheartedly believe and know that your destination is what you set. And you have to continue to keep pushing. No one else can determine your destiny, only you. That may mean you're gonna hear 200, 300, 500 notes. One of my friends called me the other day. He's a coach. And he said, man, this business drives me crazy. I said, what's going on? Man? He said, I try for this job and I try for that. I said, stop, stop, stop. I said, you're a good coach. Don't ever allow anyone else to tell you who you are, what you are. You control your own destiny. You did your part. You interviewed, you sent your resume, you did the best that you could do. For whatever reason, that was not the right situation for you. You're still a great coach. No one else will determine who you are, what you are, and how successful you are as a coach. Only you can set those goals. No one else. Success means different things to different people. So when you start allowing someone else to determine your success, you've lost your own destiny. Lost your own destiny. Correct. Can you tell our side hustle with personality community a, a little bit about yourself, where you originally are from, uh, and why you started in your uh, in your side hustle of coaching? But where you're originally from, and where you stand, why you started? I, I grew up in uh, Kennedy Square, Pennsylvania, um, small town, southeastern Pennsylvania, about 25 miles from south. 25 miles southeastern of uh, Philadelphia, right on the uh, Delaware state line, about 15 miles from uh, 
Wilmington, Delaware, 15, 20 miles, uh, played high school basketball and uh, always had a had a passion for um, basketball. Went to Bloomsburg University of Pennsylvania, and, uh, which was a great experience for me. I became an economics and mathematics major at Bloomsburg. And um, uh, Bloomsburg was, was just a tremendous place for me to, to grow socially, academically, and emotionally. And from Bloomsburg, I went off to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, um, which was another great experience being at a world-class university like the University of Wisconsin-Madison, which was a big research-based institution. At that point, I connected with a guy named Stu Jackson, who was the former uh, New York Knicks coach. And he had left the Knicks and had gone to the University of Wisconsin and uh, was a head coach there in the men's basketball program. Ran into Stu in the parking lot and told him I wanted to come to practice and watch some practices and just kind of see what he was doing. And, um, he was from Reading, Pennsylvania, not far from Kennedy Square. And he had played against uh, a gentleman who I had met named Len Gordy, who played at Chester High School. So uh, it was a networking uh, opportunity. Len Gordy told me to go see Stu Jackson. And as soon as I mentioned Len Gordy's name to Stu, he said, yeah, me and Len Gordy played against each other in the regionals in the southeastern Pennsylvania a high school state tournament when I was a senior in high school. So uh, I went to see Stu again and went off to a couple practices and watched and I'd show up now, every day. Now, I've got, I've got to stop you here, Coach Sharp. Sorry, because you said a couple of things there that uh, doing my research on you <laughs> found out about, which I think be very, it's very, very helpful for my community, a couple of things. One is you were, you had a degree in economics, correct? Correct. Right. Then your side hustle, the thing that you wanted to get into was coaching. And what you just said was you walked up to someone and asked if you could watch them coach for free, correct? You didn't want correct. to get paid, you correct. didn't want a job. You said, can I watch you and learn? I told, I told Stu, do that. I told Stu Jackson, I said, <laughs> we laugh about this to this day. I told Stu when I walked up to him in the parking lot, I said, I promise you, I'll never ask you for a job. I just want to come to practice. And he started laughing. He said, he said, I'm going to hold you to that now. I said, okay. <laughs> he, said, he, said, he said, most guys like you that want to come to practice are asking for a job a month later. Yes. And you didn't. Didn't at all. But I, but I did know this. I knew that basketball was my passion. I knew that I wanted to learn. And I knew that it was, it was imperative for me to learn from someone like Stu Jackson, who I had done my background on. He had worked for Rick Pitino at Providence College and had taken Providence College to a Final Four. So when I approached Stu, I knew a lot about him as a person. I had looked at his bio 
I knew that he went to Reading High School. I knew that he went to the University of Oregon. Why do, why do you do that? You do that, and you've been doing that. I've, I've researched. You, you, you do that all the time. You get all this information. Well, uh, reading it, about it, it on the internet, that then you study, you call people. Do you keep, do you keep uh, records and, you know, they're married, not married, uh, that have five kids and what school they go to? Do you do that? And you've been doing it for years, I've been told. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's very important as, as you have a passion for an industry, like I knew basketball was what I wanted to do. So I knew that as I developed a relationship with Stu Jackson, that I needed to know as much about Stu. I needed to know if Stu was married, if Stu had kids, where he went to college, where he had coached in college, his tree, his family tree that he was connected to in college. So the tree traced me to Rick Pitino, who was a Hall of Famer. So I knew if I developed a relationship with Stu, and um, it would open other doors once I solidified the relationship with him. How long did it take you to build that particular? I mean, that's just one out of hundreds of, re, of building a relationship that you've done. How long I, do you think that took before? Well, Carrie, I met Stu Jackson in 1992. I talked to Stu two weeks ago. We continue to um, have dialogue and have a relationship. Um, Stu has probably made 15, 20 phone calls for me as a reference for jobs, which have led to interviews. So I knew in 92, my objective was to develop a good relationship with Stu and to learn from him. But I also knew that the, the, the key thing in this process is I never asked Stu for a job because I never wanted to kill the relationship. Right. But I was smart enough to understand that Stu could help me with other jobs. And which he did on his own. He Correct. called other once, for you. Once, that's just one once, example. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Once, once Stu got to know me, the key to this whole networking process is you don't ask people to do things for you that don't know you. So you have to develop the relationship know you. for them to help you. <laughs> Oh, if if uh, I just got goosebumps there. <laughs> yeah, you don't ask people who don't know you. Say that again, will you please? I, I, I well, I've got it. It's you know when when you're networking and you're chasing your passion or your dream, and you meet someone who you know can help you. If they don't know you, you don't ask them to recommend you for a job. You have to develop a rapport relationship where they're comfortable, where they know you, and they can sell you to another person that you're trying to get a job with. Now, if, a person, if a person ever asks you to see your resume, then they don't know you. You have to develop the relationship to a point where they know everything about you. They know where you went to high school. They know where you, you um, your last work. They know... And because you've developed, like, for example, Stu would text me when I was uh, here at Hampton, when I first got here. He'd text me the morning that we played in the championship game in 2011. Good luck today. I'll be watching. So 
when you think about that, I met him in 1992, 19 years later. He's watching my game, a 12 noon game on a Saturday. He's senior vice president of basketball operations for the NBA in 2011. And he's texting me saying, good NBA. luck. Yeah. Right. He's saying, good luck with your game. <laughs> and I said, Stu, thanks. I said, I said, this, this was possible because you got me started in this industry in October of 1992 when I started watching practice. Just thanks, watch practice. Thanks, thanks for all that you've done. I appreciate you as a mentor and as a person. How do you, because I've heard and I've done my research that, how do you remember? Because you, you, Build relationships. Uh, how do you remember all these things? Um, I, I I don't know how you do. Do you write well, them down? Do you know? You know, Kerry, I, do I, you I, have. Did you have cards at the time with the names on them? How do you How do you remember all this stuff with all the different uh, people that you network with. Okay. It's just, it, it's a passion of mine. It's, it's, I guess a, a God given talent. I mean, I just, when I, when I meet people, I, um, I just, I want to know as much about that person as I can know. So, um, for example, um, when I met Stu, I said to Stu, once we got to be, uh, Good friends. I said, I know you played at Oregon. And I know that you had a motorcycle injury in an apple orchard and you tore your ACL and you weren't able to play at Oregon anymore. And you went off to Seattle University and you played at Seattle U and you graduated from Seattle U. And you're one of the most successful alumnus on the basketball side that Seattle U's ever had. I said, and then I know you left Seattle U and you went to work for IBM in 1978 and you worked for Big Blue down in LA. And I said, I know that that wasn't your passion. So I said, you left working at IBM in the early 80s when you were making about $80,000 a year to be a graduate assistant at the University of Oregon. And you moved into a dorm room and you uh, basically were given a meal plan with no guarantee of being a coach but that was your passion. You gave up IBM to coach. I said, I had the same passion, the same desire. And then you left. What did, what did, he, say, what did he say after you? I mean, I know this was years ago when you first were building a relationship. What does a person say after you <laughs> tell them their history verbatim? Uh, he was taken back. He was surprised. Yeah. He was surprised. And, and then build a relationship. I, I, I know, Coach Sharp, that you, uh, you, you don't have very much time. So I don't want to overstay my welcome here. Uh, so let, let me go back uh, just in wrapping this up a little bit uh, with asking you kind of the first question. 
what could be the first step if you have an idea for a career change or a business you would like to attempt what what might be the first step uh, i think you have to identify your passion and, and, and what interest you have is it is it uh, is it politics is it is it a business is it sports is it coaching and then what type of commitment can you make to it um is it is it something that you have an interest in that you're gonna um, maybe do once or twice a week? Or is it an interest that you just can't stop thinking about? Is it, is it, that, is it such a high level of interest that that passion is just such a part of the way you think about it? If, if that's the case, then you need to put the energy and the effort and the time into putting a plan together of how you want to go about it, making the transition. Get as much information about it as you can. Understand the industry. Understand what, what's going on in it. Um, pick five, six, seven people that have been really successful in that industry and study those people. Know their bios, know their backgrounds, know their story, know the commitment that they've made to be successful in that industry. And then ask yourself, are you going to make the same kind of commitment? You know, it may mean you start off and the income may not be what you're used to or what you want, but can you put the ash, the, the, the action, the energy, the passion into it and, and make it grow into what you want it to be? But that requires time, effort, energy, passion, um, and only the individual can answer that question. But if, if that's what you want, those are some of the things you need to think about. And wow. don't, don't, don't be afraid to try. Don't be afraid to fail. You can never fail if it's something you love and it's a passion. You have to put everything into it. It's like that old saying, you know, people go out and put their toe into the pool. You got to jump into the pool. How do you know? Do you know what a passion is when when you're when you're starting? Uh, out? Do you know what your passion is? I have so many. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, when when when, when, when you have when, when I do have, this, I do this, I do this, I do that. When you have a passion, you just always arrive back at point A. You always arrive back at point A. So you say, "Man, I like this." And, this is what I want to do. And, and then you may, you may go away from thinking about it. But then when you start thinking about it an hour later, you're right back at point A. And, I, yeah. and, and that's, that's your intuition telling you yeah. that's where you are. That's your passion. Yeah. Now, it's up to the individual if you neglect it. But you keep being led back to point A for a reason. You have to decide what you're going to do with point A. You can't be afraid. You can't be scared. Yeah. You have to. You have to say, "Look, this is what I want to do." And you know what? I'm a firm believer. And if you put the energy into it and the excitement, the energy and the passion, people will get on board with what you want to do. They will help you. See, there's. When I started out coaching, one of my mentors said to me. 
when you put the passion and energy into this and get people excited, they will see the same blueprint that you see for your success because you've delivered the passion and the excitement and the energy. See, you have to believe in what you want. Say this, this last thing. I'm a firm believer in our moment is now. Your passion is now. Your desire is now. It's not tomorrow. It's not an hour from now. It's now. If you want it, it's right there. You have to go get it. It's yours, but you have to claim it. Goosebumps, goosebumps, goosebumps. Uh, how, how can people keep in touch with you, Coach Sharp? Um, you can reach me um, by, by email. My email is uh, Daryl, D-A-R-R-Y-L dot Sharp, S-H-A-R-P at Hampton U, H-A-M-P-T-O-N-U dot E-D-U. Um, anyone that has a passion or desire, um, please feel free to reach out. Um, would do anything I can to help and assist or answer questions. Always open. Uh, Coach Sharp, uh, Coach Daryl Sharp, D-A-R-R-Y-L-S-H-A-R-P. You've been an outstanding, outstanding guest. I have learned so very much. I'm so glad I've recorded all this. So I have it to be able to listen to again. So I thank you for joining me on Side Hustle with Personality. Kara, uh, I'd like to thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to, to do this podcast. I mean, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, maybe we can connect and do this again at another time and talk more um, into detail about other, other things and, and interest as well. I'd love to. Um, join me and next time for another conversation on Side Hustle with Personality, where we explore how you can develop something on the side and bring great value to others and yourself. And Coach Sharp, I would like to ask you this last question that I, uh, I ask all my guests and I, 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 I wanna get your thoughts on, on this one. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a question that I've been asking now for almost almost four years. And it is, tell me what use of your personality or connections has resulted in the most financial return for you? One more time. One more time. What use of your personality or connections has resulted in the most financial return for you? Oh, I would say my, my ability to, my determination and my ability to, to persevere and um, the determination 
persevering in the commitment that I've made to, to uh, my desire, my, my, my passion of, of what I want to do as, but I don't, I don't look at that in, in, in necessarily a dollar amount. It just doing what I love to do is, is just priceless. I mean, it, it makes me feel each day like I'm living my dream. So um, when you can live your dream every day, that's priceless. When you know that you can help young men become responsible young men on and off the court, to have that opportunity to do that, to teach them how to win, not only at basketball, but how to win in the game of life, that's priceless. And the last thing I'll say is the best feeling as a coach, it's great to win. It's great to have those NCAA tournament games. It's, it's great to be on TV and to be recognized for your accomplishments during the year. But one of the biggest assets for me is when Hampton University has its homecoming every year, when those former players come and look for me because I know that I've had an impact on their life and that they still remember me. That's priceless to know that those guys are going to call me and tell me, coach, I'm about ready to get married. Coach, I'm about ready to have a baby. You know, for, for a player to be 28, 29, 30 years old, to still stay in touch, that shows you the impact that you had on that person's life. And that's, as I said, for the fourth time, priceless. Thank you, Coach Daryl Sharp. You're welcome, Kerry. Thanks for thanks for allowing to be on your show today. Join us next time for another innovative conversation on side hustle with personality, where we explore how you can develop something on the side and bring great value to others and yourself. And when you choose to improve your daily life and business, this is the place to hang out for new ideas and new strategies. This has been Side Hustle with Personality. Now, you may contact us at kerryruff.com. That's K-E-R-R-Y-R-U-F-F, as in Frank Frank. And remember, keep connecting your energy differently and adding true value to the world.